Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Throughout your life, I'm sure that you have probably heard many times people say something to you along these lines. All religions are just different paths to the same God. That's an assertion that probably has a couple of meanings. Sometimes I think when people say that, they're not really trying to say all religions are equally worthy of the same respect as Christianity. They're not trying to bring all the religions of the world up here. They're trying to bring Christianity down here and essentially say that Christianity is no more worthy of my attention than the other religions of the world. But there's also a sense in there in which people are trying to say to you, no one has a monopoly on truth. No one understands everything perfectly, but we're all good people trying to figure out our way to that which is good and holy, and all the various religions of the world have their different paths. That's why they teach us, that's what they teach us as we walk the paths of these various religions. So we may start off in different places, but we all end up in the same place, all equally worthy of eternal life because our religious roads all led to the same God. At least that's the idea. Now, as Christians, when we hear this, how do we respond? Well, generally, we'll go to some of those words that we heard in our gospel text for today. The words that Jesus speaks where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we tell people, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, tells us that the only path to God is his path. The Christian faith is the only religion that actually paves a path that leads to God. All the other religious paths go somewhere else entirely. The Christian road leads to eternal life, and every other road, every other path, leads to condemnation. Now, on the one hand, this is, of course, a good and faithful response Because what we are confessing to people is that no one can be saved outside of faith in Christ. We are confessing the truth that only Christ and his righteousness can lead us to eternal life. But there's also a sense in which even framing things this way is a little too generous by half. It yields a bit too much to the people who say that these are all different paths to the same God. Because when Jesus tells us that he is the way and the truth and the life, he's not simply saying that he is the only path to God. He's really saying that he's the only path, period. So let's take a look at kind of the idea of what a path is. So the idea of a religious path, the idea of any path, is something that someone has forged before you. Something that someone has cut down before you to show you the way. That you can walk in the path that they've walked. But the various religions of the world, the various religious leaders of the world, were not path builders. They were they're ultimately simply path building gurus. That is, they tell you that they know how you can build your own path to God. They can give you the steps to follow to forge that own path and lay down your own bricks of holiness and cut down the weeds and the shrubbery that are in your way. They can show you the way to do it, but you're the one who has to actually do it yourself. The Pharisees were constantly asserting their knowledge of this throughout the Gospels. It's one of the reasons Jesus is constantly arguing with them. They They have the 613 commandments of the law of Moses that you are to follow. 
along with all of their traditions and the traditions of men that they have added. So if you follow these steps, if you lay down these bricks of righteousness, then you can pursue God and you can go close to Him and you can bring yourself to His face and perhaps He will then see you as righteous on account of this. The Muslims teach you that if you follow the five pillars of Islam, you can make yourself more acceptable, more worthy of eternal life in the eyes of the God they call Allah, the one they call Allah, this false God. The Mormons have a rather strange view of Christ, where they will tell you that Jesus is your Savior and Jesus forgives you, but if you start to look more closely into their theology, what they mean by that is that Jesus will wash you clean of sin, but then it's ultimately on you to live a life of obedience in order to pave that path of righteousness to eternal life. Follow the teachings and the new decrees of the prophets. Do that. Make your own righteousness, and you can become worthy of eternal life. In the Eastern religions, you have a slightly different take, but still the idea that you're the one laying down the bricks. So the Hindus teach you that salvation is found if you escape the endless cycle of death and reincarnation, which you can do through your devotion and obedience to their idols if you faithfully serve their gods. The Buddhists tell you that you can forge that path to holiness by purging yourself of desire, that if you follow the way of the Buddha, that you can inherit the state of enlightenment. But the Buddha is just the one simply who tells you the things to do. You're the one who has to actually do this. So in all of the religions of the world, you cut down the weeds and build the road. You put the stones of holiness down that bring you closer to salvation. You build it not God. But as the scriptures tell you, you can't build that path to salvation. James tells us whoever keeps the law of God but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. In other words, one sin or ten million sins may have greater ramifications in life in terms of living with people as your neighbors. But in either case, you are equally far from God and lost in condemnation, equally in need of his salvation. As Isaiah tells us, every work that we do, every good work that we do apart from faith in Christ, is like a polluted garment, something that is unclean and filthy and unacceptable and revolting to God. So as the scriptures show us, and as we see so clearly in the cross of Christ, the cross of Christ declares to us that all of your attempts to make yourself acceptable to God have resulted in one thing, the Son of God dead upon the cross. That's how far you are from your Father in heaven. That's how miserably you have failed to make yourself worthy of eternal life. So in all of this, we see the truth. You couldn't lay down a single brick. Before Christ, you were stuck in the muck and the mire. You weren't building a path. You were trapped in the rubble and in the mud of this world, enslaved by your own sins. Your hands and your heart utterly corrupted with transgressions. Through your idolatry, through your, because you loved your flesh more than you loved God, and because you loved your pleasure and your pride more than you loved your neighbor. The end result is you didn't move. You were immobile. You didn't come one step closer to God, but were simply trapped in the mud of condemnation. And no matter how much you tried to forge that road, 
you couldn't. Couldn't build your way to God. The only thing you could really build was the illusion of progress. So there's a strange thing we find in our lives as we try to grow in righteousness is that very often when it seems like you're doing a better job with this sin over here, you then become consumed by this sin over here. This is a phenomenon. I've given it the name, the Figueroa Principle. It's named after my allergist from just down the road because last summer I was dying of allergies all summer. And I told her, I said, if we can't get this under control, I'm going to have to move to Arizona, you know, like the gunfighters back in the day trying to not die of tuberculosis and all that stuff that they did. And she said, well, you can move there, but then you'll just find new things to be allergic to. So I'll just trade oak tree allergy, being allergic to oak trees to being allergic to tumbleweeds, right? So, and that's the way that sin so often works in our life. Right? You, you trade your pride for despair. You trade your lust for self-righteousness. You trade your anger for cowardice. You seem to grow in one area only to be consumed by sin in another. And in all of this, you're just stuck in the mud, unable to pave that rat, that path of righteousness because your hands are utterly corrupted with sin. They're filthy, and every brick that you would lay down becomes more mud that just enslaves you and entraps you. So in all of this, we have no hope. We are stuck in place, immobile, lost in condemnation, and there was before us no path that could possibly lead us to salvation. But then Jesus Christ came to our aid. Jesus Christ came to your aid, and he did so by building the path that leads to God himself. He built the road that you would walk. And to understand what that path is and how it works, Let's take a look at the context in our gospel text for today where Jesus gives us these words about being the way, the truth, and the life. So right before telling us this, Jesus tells us that in his Father's house are many rooms and that he is going to prepare a place for us there, that through his death and resurrection he is going to make a room for us, a dwelling place in his Father's house. Now, I think that this is perhaps, in a way, a callback to the transfiguration of our Lord. If you remember from that text, Jesus brings Peter, John, uh, James, and John with him up the mountain, and Peter sees Jesus speaking with Moses and Elijah, and what does Peter say to them? Lord, it's good that you're here. Let us build three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, Peter, in his confusion, seeing the kingdom of God before him, says, we'll build the path, we'll build the dwelling places. We'll build a place for you to stay with us. But, G but Peter is rebuked in that moment, told by the voice of the Father to listen to his Son, and they go back down the mountain, and then Jesus speaks these words and is here declaring to those men, you don't build tents for me. You don't build dwelling places for me. I build them for you. I prepare them for you. I'm the one who does the work. You are not. I am the one who is righteous and who goes before my Father through his death and resurrection and gives you the right to dwell with him in his kingdom forever. And then after Jesus speaks these words about being the way, the truth, and the life, he has this uh, interaction with Philip where Philip says to him, Lord, show us the face of the Father and that is enough. Jesus responds, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen the Father has seen me. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
In other words, here Jesus is saying, Philip, you still think that you need something else to be at peace and inherit eternal life. You think that when you have me before you, that's not enough. But if you're going to inherit eternal life, you need to know that I am enough, that whoever sees me has seen the Father because I have opened the door to heaven and given you the right to live with him in his kingdom forever. You don't need anything else. Everything that you need to inherit eternal life, I have given you myself. And so, with these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is telling us it's not just that there are other paths and his is the only one that gets there. He is the only path. He is the only way because only the sinless Son of God could actually build a path, could not be stuck in that mud of condemnation. And so Jesus Christ came to our aid. Once there were no paths, no roads in the wilderness leading to God or anywhere else once there were only graves of mud and sorrow in which we were enslaved. But then the Son of God came into the flesh and he forged a path. Jesus took his perfect hands, his righteous hands that were corrupt with no sin, and he laid down the stones that lead us to the path of God, that lead us to the house of the Father. Jesus Christ cut down the weeds and the condemnation, everything that stood in our way. Jesus paved over it with his perfect life and death and resurrection. From the cross, when you were far off and stuck in the mud, Jesus Christ forgave all of your sins, washed you clean in his righteous blood, and lifted you up out of the muck and the mire and gave you the power to follow behind him. Jesus Christ walked that path to salvation before you. Through his bloody death, through the cross that he carried, he forged that path. And there on the third day, your, your brother Jesus Christ opened the door to the kingdom and declared that his father was now your father, that his God was now your God, that your room was now ready to be, to be received where you could rest and rejoice in the presence of God forever. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus Christ built the path to God and opened the door to heaven. And so, what he accomplished there in that moment was giving you the right to see what it is that Philip wanted to see. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus invites you to see the face of God and to know that when God sees your face, there is nothing repulsive to, you about, to him about it. That when God sees your face, he rejoices in it and looks favorably upon you because the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed you of all your sins and because your face now glows with the righteousness of Christ with his only begotten Son whom he loves. There is nothing else you need, nothing you need to produce, no stones you need to lay down, no weeds left for you to cut down in order to be acceptable to your Father. The right to live forever has already been paved and opened through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, today, our Lord lifts you up from the muck and the mire. Today, Jesus Christ, through His forgiveness, through His mercy, through His word of salvation, through His body and blood, 
He lifts you up out of the muddy prison of sin and the grave of condemnation. Today, Christ has washed you clean. He has given you righteous feet to walk the path that He made for you. And He has given you righteous hands to cling to Him as He walks before you, conquering every sin and temptation that leaps out at you from the wilderness upon that path. Today, you are doing what no other religion in this world could do for you. You're actually moving. You're moving forward on the path of salvation, coming closer and closer to God because Jesus Christ has made you acceptable to Him already. Today, you are walking closer to the arms of the Father who is, in fact, already holding you and whose embrace you will feel in its fullness on the last day. Today, Christ is doing for you what no false prophet or false god could ever do. He's bringing you closer to the room in his Father's mansion, where you will rest and rejoice forever. And today, through this word of salvation, Christ invites you to follow him. So do it. Follow him on the path that shines with truth and light. Follow Jesus into the kingdom that is now your eternal possession. Don't listen to the lies of those in the graves and the mud who tell you that you have to cut your own path to eternal life. Listen to the Son of God who was cut and pierced for you at Calvary and who has now told you, you don't have to do anything because I have done everything. So follow me. Alleluia. Christ is risen.